Hi, and welcome to Mum Will the Planet Die Before I Do, the podcast about parenting in the climate crisis. Welcome back. I'm Babita Sharma, journalist, TV presenter and mum. And today on the podcast, we're joined by Mitzi Janelle Tan, the high-profile youth activist from the Philippines. If you've listened to a few episodes by now, you'll know that the other voice in this episode is Katie, my friend, mum of three, and also a journalist. Katie and I began asking Mitzi about individuals like her who've been turned into climate heroes and how her parents have helped her deal with the pressures of being a well-known activist. You'll also hear important interjections from Mitzi's dogs who just couldn't stay silent on the issue of climate change. First, I don't agree that there should be individual faces of crises and movements. Um, It's something that I don't think should happen, but I understand that it does happen. And when it does happen, because we live in this world where, you know, individuals are focused on that, it's up to the individual to make sure that you focus on collective action and the movement and you bring everything that you can and do whatever you can to avert that that individualism. Um, And I think a lot of that comes from the way I was brought up also with how my parents always emphasize the importance of community and of standing up for against bullies. Because I think that's what uh, activism is about, right? I remember as a young kid, I was actually bullied a lot. Um, And my parents taught me to say no. And in a way, that's what we're doing now as activists, saying no to the fossil fuel industry, saying no to the biggest bullies who are bullying all of us. Um, Growing up, they didn't really bring me towards the environment. It was just something that I was drawn into naturally, I guess. That's what they say. Um, and my mom has been really supportive of my activism, although I haven't been completely honest with her 100% of the time <laughs> when I was starting out. But I am now. That's why I can say this. <laughs> I used to hide when I would go to protests. Um, oh, wow. And I used to not tell her. Uh, because I thought, because in the Philippines, there's a taboo around activism because of how dangerous it is, because we are one of the most dangerous countries in the world for environmental defenders and activists, and our government often correlates activism with terrorism. So there is this taboo, and I never knew if my parents subscribed to that thinking, so I never brought it up to them. Um, and then eventually, like... I realized I should just tell her because she'd find me on TV or or like, you know, she'd see me at, at some point. So so I realized I should just tell her. And she was actually really supportive about it. Um, and I think oh God, that's so different to my childhood me. when I was not telling mom and dad about boys and you're not <laughs> telling them about activism. <laughs> Katie, what was your thing? I don't know. Well, yeah, I mean, I used to go when I was a teenager on kind of marches against motorways and, you know, back in the like early 1900s when I was a young person um and it is I think it is that kind of thing of when something that you care about so deeply is almost portrayed as a bit niche you know I remember adults around me at the time saying oh you know darling it'll be fine why do you get so stressed about this and you're like because the fucking world is ending um but for you when you talk to your mom about it um that must have been kind of different in a way obviously she had those fears about the violence towards activists as you were describing in the Philippines but also she was living through the same climate events that you were living through so did that help her to kind of understand I guess would you describe it as eco-anxiety or eco-trauma? I think she saw and understood the fears that I had 
Um, and although she might not have known the climate science part of it and how it's going to get worse, she understood that climate trauma. She understood where I was coming from when I would talk about my childhood and, you know, waking up in the middle of the night and having to sweep out flood water and doing my homework by the candlelight because she was there with me when, when those things were happening. And something that always struck me was how she would always say that she brought me up to do what was right. So she could, she didn't have it in her to tell me to stop doing this because she knew that I was doing the right thing. Um, so I think wow. that a lot of it is coming from that. She really had that understanding that this is something that is right. She's not doing anything wrong. That I can't stop her from doing this. I think it's that, isn't it? Empowering you to know that you're, the path that you are choosing albeit a very, very difficult one in the country, which sees, like you said, activism aligned with terrorism. I mean, wow, that, we'll talk about that in a moment, but um, that belief, I think, I think instilling that belief helps kind of a child, a youth activist, a younger person to sort of try and work it out. So I'm presuming that you thank her for that, and I do. think that's helped you, has it? Yeah, I definitely do. I think that that and um, my mom being like one of the kindest people I know has helped mm-hmm. me really understand what kindness should look like and what fighting for what's right should look like. Because I've had conversations with people about this where I used to not be the nicest person. And I say now that now that I'm an activist, I've learned how to be kinder to people. and if I can learn how to be kind, then anyone else can. We talked about this with Cristiana Figueres. Um, at the end of the conversation, we were talking about love and how really that's such an essential. And I found that quite a kind of amazing conversation to be having, obviously, with somebody like Cristiana. And then Babs and I were like, yeah, actually, it's so vital to have that emotional dynamic in literally the fight to save the planet if we don't have those softer emotions like kind of love respect being a nice person being kind when we're coming up against all sorts of industries and people and personalities and countries that are being anything but kind or anything but respectful to countries that they're kind of shafting you lose that essential blend in the fight is that is that how it feels to you Exactly. I think that love is how you win the fight and how you win the revolution because it's how you stay in the fight. Because if I think I anger and sadness and fear are all very valid emotions. And but the reason why I feel those emotions is because of a deep love for the people and the planet and mm-hmm. life. And to borrow words from a friend, um, her she's also an activist, Aisha Siddika. She said that love and gentleness and kindness is these are traits of our mother, both our actual mother and the mother earth. And so these are not traits that we should be shunning and getting rid of when we're doing our activism, but these are traits that we should be embracing. And I think it's so crucial. And I say this in a lot of the things I say that love is so important when we're talking about activism, because that is how you hold on. Because without that, you will burn out. Without that deep understanding and care, you will burn out and not see the point of everything. But what we're fighting for, we're not just anti 
fossil fuels, anti-profit oriented system, anti all this, we are pro-love and pro-joy and pro-community and we have to hold on to that. Otherwise, when we're talking about climate justice, people won't see what we're trying to fight for. They'll just see what we're fighting against. And it's a lot harder to fight against something without knowing what we're fighting for. What is climate justice to you? What are you fighting for? In technical terms, it's reparations and drastic carbon dioxide emissions. And I feel like people in the climate space already know this. I like to actually invite people to imagine their safest and happiest moment. And that is what climate justice feels like. It is that moment where you are not scared of another typhoon. It is that moment where you're not scared for your future. It is a moment where you are truly just happy and with people that you care about and you know that everyone you're with is safe because that's what climate justice is about. It's about people's safety. It's about people's development. It's about people being at peace because that's exactly what the climate crisis has been destroying for so many people. It is that peace, it is that safety, it is that joy that has been attacked by the profit-oriented system. So climate justice is the opposite of that. It is your happiest, safest moment with the people you love the most for everyone. How do you get there though, when you have been a victim of climate crisis? How do you get to that safe place when the safe place has been completely whipped from under your feet because you've been a victim of severe flooding or um, you know, everything that you've relied upon in your ecosystem and the world around you has just collapsed? I think that's the beautiful thing about Filipino spirit. And I think a lot of people in marginalized communities also exhibit this. And I'm sure we have different words for it. In Filipino, it's called bayanihan. Um, translated, doesn't really have a translation, but it's doing something for the common good, doing something for the community. Um, when we were taught about it in school, it was literally people moving each other's houses away from like rising sea levels. Um, that's how it was in pre-colonial times. And in the practical sense today, that means whenever there's a typhoon, our national leaders and our local leaders are usually nowhere to be seen, but you know who is out in the streets helping each other? It's the community. We are cleaning each other's houses, if we, even if we don't know each other. People are doing donation drives, people are collecting food, people are collecting clothes and giving it to people who have been impacted, even though they don't know these people at all. And it happens every single time there is a disaster. There is that community spirit that people know that we have no one else to turn to but each other. So we come together and we come together and demand justice together as well. Interesting when you're talking about that, um, that demand for justice and coming together as a community. I think lots of parents like me, we take our kids onto marches. Our love for our kids, you know, embroiling our kids in our activism, like, come on, let's go on a march. Even what my kids have, you know, since they're tiny, and to be honest, I'm starting to do that less because they are, they've just been on so many and now I want them to go to football and stuff, you know, and, but, and that's awful to say, but it's really, really hard to know where that kind of kindness and love as a parent that you're displaying to your child intersects with behaving in a way that is going to save their lives. Um, so I don't know also what you would say to kind of parents not on the front lines of climate change. You know, we're seeing all of these climate events remotely. Um, your parents have been raising you amidst it. 
But what would you kind of say to climate activist parents who may be a bit further removed and are trying to understand how to raise their children when it's a bit more kind of ethereal? I think what would work is if you get your children to talk to other children who are in the front lines so that they understand from their point of view, from the child's point of view, because I have friends who are whose parents are activists and, and that's how they got into the activism world. And they told me about how sometimes going to the protests for them felt like a chore, like, oh, this is a thing that my parents <laughs> are getting me to do. My parents are telling me to do this. It didn't feel like something that they wanted to do. And then eventually when they got older and their parents kind of gave them the choice, they saw that it was the choice to be made to join their parents and to be activists. But it came because they were able to meet other people their age who were talking about the same thing, who were fighting for the same thing. And they saw that it wasn't just their parents doing it. It wasn't just like the old people forcing them to do it. Gosh, so I think it's really that's important. so interesting, isn't it? I haven't really mm. thought about that, that, you know, here we go again at the weekend <laughs> marching and you're like, oh, you know, mom wants me to go or dad wants me to go. Um, but actually I suppose it's getting them to connect with other kids yeah. that will probably yeah. be more inspiring than watching their mum and dads yeah. and drag them along, right? Yeah. And then later on they'll realize that it was their parents. But but I think at like when you're a younger age especially, being able to connect with other people and seeing that I guess it's cool, quote unquote, for other people, for other people your age too, I think is really helpful because then they understand that they're not alone in it as like young people. I think so Katie, also- are you Oh, are you not going now to as many marches, Katie, as you did? Because um, because you what you think they're getting bored, or I I've heard this from other parents as well, and I'm aware how entitled this sounds. So before I say this, I'm aware, I'm very aware of how oh, I'm too busy to do this. I'm really aware of how, but just co- to be completely honest. I saw a woman at a march a couple of years ago. She was an older woman and she had a sign saying, I can't believe I'm still protesting this shit. And I kind of feel like that old lady now of like, I can't believe that it's taking this relentless out on the streets again and again, you know, how can this be? And then yeah, I think for, for my own kids, I also, it's that kind of balance between wanting your kids to under, to believe in civil society and democracy and also wanting them to believe that that works. And when you protest and protest and protest and protest and it doesn't work, you kind of begin to feel as a parent, I don't know what I'm modelling to them anymore. I think you should let them choose. I think young people are... At a certain point, once they have all the information, once people are empowered and they know that they can do something and that there is things to be done, people will eventually go to that. I don't believe that anyone who chooses to not be an activist does it with the knowledge of you know what they need to know, right? I think once you are laid down with the facts of the climate crisis, what you can do, that there are people behind it that it's not just natural weather events, but there are people and faces and addresses behind the climate crisis, then it kind of ignites this passion in you to know that there is something not fair that's happening. And it might take years and years and years, but it is something that has to be done. And maybe it will take years. Maybe it will take me protesting at your age and and my children protesting with me. 
But that is the work that needs to be done because even though there have been very little changes, there have been changes and that is yeah. because of civil society. Yeah. A um, couple of things I wanted to ask you. I don't, I'm sure Katie probably want to know this too, but you talked about, you know, the terrorism activism thing happening in the Philippines. Um, if I was your parent or guardian, I'd be completely paralyzed with fear for your safety. We don't have the same issues that you face where we live in the UK about protesting, um, but you do. Yes. So, yeah, well, yeah, you, yeah, you have that new bill, right? Like we do have the new bill. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's really yeah. scary. Yeah, uh, yeah, anyway. that could be a whole series. Um, but how do I mean? Yeah, how do you go about your activism every single day and being really vocal publicly now because you are on social media and you are everywhere? Um, and then not worry about your safety. I think it's because I know the risks and I do go into it understanding the risks. And what are the that. risks? So um, technically, mm -hmm. so with the new anti-terror law, so it's kind of, I think it's not very different from the bill that you guys have. Um, the definition of terrorism is so vague that activism can fall under it. So calling for system change, not climate change could be seen as terrorism because it's the intention of changing the system and that can, seen as like, can be seen as terrorism. And the, the catch is that the people who are deciding is this council that has been calling activists terrorists even before this bill existed. And that's why it's so dangerous also. And that means that you can be put under surveillance up to 90 days without knowing um, you could be arrested without a warrant. You could be, you could disappear because that has happened to a lot of activists before. You could be arrested, you could disappear, you could just be killed. Um, environmental defenders and activists have been killed before doing community kitchens, going to relief operations and the way to help typhoon victims. And these are things that have happened. But because I know that I am in the city, I am someone who can speak English. I am someone who if I disappear, people will get angry. And so because of that, I have that level of safety. I have that privilege of safety. And that's why I keep using my voice to speak about these things because I know that I have that level of safety. Does my mom feel safe about it? Not necessarily. Do we argue about my safety? Yes, all the time. But I reassure her that we have paralegal trainings and we have lawyers on call and all these things um, because there is a good activist movement in the Philippines where we have lawyers who are activists who we are able to tap when things happen um, but I know that that's not the case in a lot of countries and for a lot of people so it's more difficult but it's really having that understanding of what the risks are and knowing how to mitigate those risks and being safe whenever you can wherever you can and then just kind of believing the collective action that you know people won't let you down if you get arrested there will be people who will help you um, and I think there's a lot of, of strength in that. Oh, well, this is going to sound the most ridiculous thing because I'm not your mum. But please be careful when you're doing <laughs> all this incredible work. <laughs> I feel like I'm just, oh. Don't you, Katie, if one of our kids was like, how do you, oh, I just want to wrap How you do you up bear that like, mentally, though, as well? I, I mean, I was just thinking, like, yeah. you know, for us, kind of like, oh, we're keeping on protesting. But when you're protesting about something that's, climate change fossil fuel industry all of these things that are literally driving climate events that your community is literally driving through living through 
And then you're having to protest against all of this like crazy shit that you could be disappeared. You could like, I don't know how you mentally kind of manage that. Like I'm just trying to say something that's going to save everyone's lives. Isn't that mad? Like, how do you cope with that? I think it goes back to the day that I actually fully decided to be an activist. That was, um, I think, September in 2017. And I was talking to a Lumad indigenous leader and he was telling us about all the harassment and militarization in his community and the displacement and the killings happening in, in his community and the schools being bombed in his community. And then he told me so simply, and he even chuckled and shrugged and he said, that's why we have no choice but to fight back. Then he kept talking about other things. And I think he talked about food and dinner. And it was so simple to him that I realized that I had this privilege to quote unquote, choose to be an activist. And so who was I to not choose to be an activist when there are people who are so pushed into activism, whose lives are so much more at risk and they still do it. And they are the ones that are really truly at the front line. So why would I not join them in that fight? And it always goes back to that. I know that they are already so strong and that I'm only joining that struggle and that there are so many of us across the globe fighting for the same thing. I know that there is safety in numbers there. I find so much comfort in knowing that there are people across the globe who will fight and yell if any one of us activists in the Philippines gets arrested. So there is so much comfort in knowing that there is that not just a national and local community that will fight for us, but also a global community who will stand with us in solidarity. I'm going to add me and Katie to that as well. We're going to be the tiger mums. You know. <laughs> I, 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 You're old now, Mitzi, as well. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if this is appropriate to say, but I, I feel so proud of you. <laughs> Thank um, you. <laughs> like just the person that you are and the things you're doing, but also how the clarity with which you speak. <laughs> Thank mean, you. It's, um, it's remarkable, really, because this is, I don't want this to sound patronizing or condescending, but I know people often mention age and, you know, we haven't asked you how old you are because we don't ask older contributors how old they are. So why would we need to ask that? But to have that clear sense of purpose and clarity of thinking when it comes to what you're doing um, at um, a younger age um, <laughs> is incredibly impressive. And, well, you're inspiring. I find you incredibly Aww. inspiring. Thank you. <laughs> I also find, sorry, just to add to that, I know what you were saying earlier about the individualism versus the collective. And I completely understand that thing that you were saying about, you know, activism, not having individual faces and stuff. But as you were saying, you know, on a more of a pragmatic tone, it does. And I think that's also really, um, really a brave kind of place to put yourself because you are representing so many hundreds of thousands of of young people who don't have the platform that you do. And I know that you're doing that with, um, I know you're conscious of that. Um, does that make it kind of easier or, or harder when you're thinking about that representation? Sometimes it makes it easier because I know that I'm not alone. That I know that I'm not doing this alone and saying these things alone, but sometimes it makes it hard because it's like, does everyone expect me to say the right thing every single time? And does everyone expect me to say something about every single issue and things like that? Um, and I think that's also the dangers of the individualism that happens as people get 
put on pedestals and people become celebrities and it's almost like again like larger than life and you're suddenly not able to just be a person and that's why I'm really trying my best on social media to be really casual also and to not have a separate social media because I know some activists have a separate social media for their personal life um, but I really put like everything in my social media so that people who are seeing my social media see that you can be an activist too because I do the same things that you do I stress about the same things that you are stressing about everyone and anyone can be an activist and I think that's such an important part of my messaging that you don't have to be a certain level of famous or a certain level of you know you don't have to be so well at speaking or know how to write or know this amount of knowledge to be an activist anyone and everyone can start whenever they want what would you say to people that might be listening to this that have children suffering from eco-anxiety or um, people that are themselves suffering from eco-anxiety how yeah what advice can you give to them I think it's so important for you to realize that your eco-anxiety is valid and that it isn't some overblown reaction to some small thing, but which is what often anxiety is termed as, right? Like usually anxiety is this overblown quote-unquote reaction over something, but it's not. This is a very valid response to what's happening. And you are allowed to do whatever you want with that feeling as long as you recognize that it is valid. But for me, what helped was knowing that there was something I could do about it. Because my eco-anxiety, it doesn't stem from just the extreme weather events. It stems from seeing world leaders not acting. And so going out in the streets and yelling about it is actually really therapeutic in a way because you're able to get that out of your system. And you also see everyone else with you doing something about it. You see that other people care about it too. Um, there were there, there was one time that my ego anxiety was so bad that I really could not get out of it. And my friend told me that you're allowed to just grieve, Mitzi, because something is being taken away from you. And sometimes you just have to let that out. You don't have to go to protests to get that out of your system. Sometimes you just need to cry. And that is a valid response also. It's absolutely a valid response. In fact, it's probably a, a vital response to have that emotional connectedness about this all. But Babs and I have often wondered about kind of boys and dads in that. And often women are kind of perceived as being more, I don't know, maybe emotionally literate or connected, which I don't necessarily subscribe to. But you wonder about the role of dads parenting boys in this conversation. Do you have any thoughts on that? I think dads should be just as involved in climate activism, but even within the climate movement, there aren't as many guys leading, right? I think it's both a mix of understanding that women and young girls and young children are some of the most vulnerable to the climate crisis. And so they're also usually the ones who care the most. But this I'm not sure about, but an interesting conversation I've had with some people is how is it because taking care of the planet and the earth is seen as a very feminine thing to do where it's like, you know, hippies who are wearing flower crowns and long dresses and skirts. And it's seen as something that women do to take care of the garden, to take care of the, you know, it, it, is that the reason why there aren't more guys in the climate movement or more dads leading or like helping out with the climate movement as well? And I think that's also something that we should really inspect and also break down because Everyone needs to be in this fight, really. Why do you think, for mums of sons, how do you think that we can be doing that 
differently? Um, how do you think parents can kind of reverse that or change the tide on how we get our boys involved? I think it's about making sure that you bring up your boys to embrace those feelings of gentleness, which often our patriarchal society tells young boys, especially that they're not supposed to be gentle, they're not supposed to be nice, they're not supposed to be kind, they're not supposed to be, you know, these quote unquote feminine characteristics, but why are they just feminine characteristics, right? Boys are allowed to cry and boys are allowed to care. And I think that is where you need to really bring that in home so that they understand that they're allowed to care about the planet. They're allowed to care about their friends. They're allowed to care about their family and their future. And I think that is how we bring more boys, especially young boys with by parents into the climate movement also. When they understand that they are allowed to feel these emotions that a lot of times society tells them boys shouldn't be feeling. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's very true. That's very powerful. I just wanted to end by saying thank you because I feel quite ashamed of my feelings about um it's not protest fatigue I don't mean it like that but I think it's protest like what the fuck are we achieving I think yeah. that's what it I think that's what it is and also as a parent of children wanting to get them involved anyway and but then wanting them not to get jaded but that lovely cycle that you describe where it is passed on from parent to child and the child takes up that own you know is there anything that you can kind of just say or add to parents like me because I know I'm not the only one and again I know that fatigue is a privilege um but any kind of parent any other parents like me who also have that that same kind of fatigue and that same feeling of how much to involve their kids before their kids adopt this as their own kind of worldview. I think I will let you in on a secret and say that I also feel that sometimes. I think most activists feel this, like this frustration that we've been doing this so much and we've been pouring so much work into this yet nothing is happening. So for me, it's so important to go back to community. I think it's important for parents to surround themselves with communities, but also for their kids to surround themselves with communities. So they see that Activism isn't just the protest, it's the organizing, it's the talking to people to get them on board, it's going to football um, clubs and going to football games, and then getting those football players to join you in the protests next time. It's having friends outside of activism, so that you can bring them into activism later on. I think finding those different pockets of community and understanding that protesting isn't the end all be all of activism is really important because that will feel tiring. My favorite part of activism is connecting with people, having these conversations like this one, having these conversations with people across the globe, but also within my community. That is what gives me so much hope and inspiration because you'll see the people who are new at activism, they're going to have so much more energy than you every single time. And that will give you energy in itself. When you see that other people are starting to join you, when you see that other people who didn't care at all before are starting to join you, and it becomes this cycle of, of you wanting to do more because you per, you're seeing other people joining and it doesn't stop at the protesting. For me, the biggest source of hope or energy that I have isn't when things change because of the protest, it's when the protests get bigger. It's when more people are joining the protest. It's when more people are caring, when more people are talking about it, when more people are starting to listen. Um, and I know that this is difficult because for example, like the best friends I've had for like, over 10 years, 
they're not activists. They're the ones that I have not been able to bring into activism, but people I've met for like a year, I've brought into activism. So sometimes it's the people who are closest to you that are hardest to bring into activism because they know you so much, you know, all these things. But slowly you'll start to see how they start to care too. You'll start to see that they're the ones who are asking you questions. So it's a very slow process. And someone from the older generation of activists told me this, that climate activism is one of the slowest forms of activism. Like I started out as, as a student's rights activism. It was a lot faster paced. Like you tell your university something, something will change. Something will, you know, things will feel victorious. But with climate activism, it is so much slower. So you have to see your victories, not just in the policy changes, but also in the community and how you guys are growing and how more and more people are talking. And those are victories. And I think that's so important to remember. What a relief to hear these words from Mitzi. Protest fatigue is, of course, a privilege. Climate activism can feel dangerously slow and protests can feel like they're just not getting us anywhere. But of course, they are. Like Mitzi says, there are victories all around us and so much power in gathering community together, talking about the climate crisis with other parents at football practice, spreading the word and growing momentum. Next week, we speak to George Monbiot about how he feels we should be parenting in the climate crisis. See you then. Mum, will the planet die before I do? Is a Corner Shop media production presented and produced by Babita Sharma, Katie Glasborough and edited by Nisha Patel.